Hidden Gems, episode 52. Ave Caesar! <laughs> Welcome to Hidden Gems, a board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. I'm Bill. And I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show. You like that intro? That was awesome, dude. Trying to make it epic, <laughs> pretty epic. It's gotta be. It's got Caesar in it. There's it's gonna be a lot of crowd noise. Yeah, so. you know, when you when you ave, you have to do it with some gusto. You do. You, you have know? to ave it for sure. <laughs> I told Cameron right before we started rolling. I said I want you to put some really epic voice effects on my voice for this intro. So hopefully that and came I did. across. I did. Okay. So I hate to show no my pressure. ignorance, but I think you guys looked it up last time we were talking. What does ave mean? Oh shoot! <laughs> oh, I'm assuming well, I thought you this was a softball. <laughs> you would think that I would know. So I used to be in choir in, in uh-huh. high school and college, uh-huh. and the number of Latin songs that I sang with the word "ave" in it, you would think I would know what it means, yeah. but I honestly cannot remember. <laughs> All right, we'll see if the. But you're looking it up, right? If the Indian oh, barrier ground I, in I here, thought we'll let you us were do it. Teeing us up so that we could ask no, I don't you, know. and you could fill I have, us I have in. No idea. <laughs> Good luck on my Wi-Fi out right. here. Exactly. <laughs> And how to phrase it right. Let's see. Drum roll. Hail. Simply hail. No, we did look it up. Jason looked it up. That, make, thought, that makes I, sense. I thought yeah. that's what I, what I meant. Yeah, right. me too. <clears throat> I was totally thinking that. Right, exactly. Just one ave, right? Can we just get, <laughs> can we just get one viva? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure anyone out there who's watched Parks and Rec will get that joke. <laughs> well, Bill, now that you've embarrassed us, why don't you go ahead and get the ball rolling? Oh, damn. What have you been up to, my friend? Oh, man, let's see. Well, the most exciting thing for me has been last weekend, I'd been looking forward to getting together with a really good friend of mine for a long time that we grew up together and we haven't probably seen each other for 10 or 15 years. He was in my high school class. And so we ended up getting together at Clemson University at uh, Lake Hartwell, right next nice. to his wife rented a cabin there, and his, there was a group of us, another another high school buddy of mine went, and we hung out the lake and drank and just had a blast. One thing I want to say, though, is youth is wasted on the young, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to come at it from a different angle. We ended up stopping at a fruit stand down there and picking up a bunch of peaches. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh nice. and all my, yeah. And I've just finished this. I love del- doing that. Oh, yeah, the last peach today. And I I mean, those fresh peaches right off, right the, off vine. the road. Yeah, right off the road, right yep. off the vine. We had a farm growing up, and we had fresh vegetables all the time. And I totally... Did not appreciate it at all. I was going to say, you, right. you don't grow peaches in Cullowee. No, no, no. But I had beans and okay, yeah. tomatoes uh-huh. and lettuce or whatever, or, and corn in the cob, right? Oh, Dad, yeah. Dad would go, Dude. hey, go out the, the field and we'll do it. And Same. Uh, and we'd eat it. It would be good, but I just didn't realize, didn't yeah. have a perspective on it, like yeah. how good it was comparatively to anything Dude, else. I, so. I had no intention of talking anything about this. I haven't thought about this in years, actually, but since you brought it up, it just uh. brought it to mind. My grandparents had a small family farm, and some of my fondest memories, one weekend every year, we would shuck corn and string beans Oh yeah, on the porch. All of my aunts, my mom had four sisters, so they'd all come over. My grandmother would be pressure cooking. That's how she did it. Pressure cooker. Put it everything in the courts, you know, the plastic courts Mm -hmm. and all that. Oh, yeah. Mason jars. That is getting lost. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah. sad, you know? I don't know how to do it, so it's yeah. kind of my fault, I guess. Yeah. But I remember enjoying that as a kid. Mm-hmm. But that getting with the family and putting up the corn and the beans for right. the year is just kind of going away, you oh, know? Like tur- oh. turning it a chore into a 
family opportunity activity. for family like bonding, but you also have to do it because if right. you don't, it's gonna go to waste, right? Yep. And you won't eat over the winter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we we did that too, and yeah, we canned all our beans and stuff like that. Had yeah. a big closet for all of it. We in our basement, we had our bins for the Irish potatoes and the sweet potatoes, yep, yep. and ate all that stuff all winter long. And mm-hmm. It was it was still really really good. It was. So. Anyway, the the last thing I want to talk about is I started playing Last of Us again on the PS4 oh, okay. because we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And what, what I'm finding out <laughs> is I really suck with a controller. <laughs> if I'm trying to shoot anything, I mean, give Dude, me a mouse and a keyboard. that game will punish you if you're off, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm, you'll get your face ripped off right. if you miss a couple of times in oh, that game. Yeah, well, I'm kind of in the tutorial because I'm still fighting the soldiers, right? I am not in with <laughs> We're not on the clickers yet. You know, I'm not on the clickers yet, which is, I'm sure they're way worse. Oh, yeah. No Uh, mercy. uh, I can, yes, I'm I'm not looking forward to it. But I just had to after watching the series. I mean, I love the series so much. And so I'm going to give it a chance. We'll see if we can go and see if I get any better with the controller. Nice. That's it. Cool. So how about you, Chris? Nice, yeah. I'll roll. Since you got to talk about two things, I'm going to try to talk about two things. (laughs) We're moving at a pretty good clip here. The, the thing about when you go to episodes every three weeks, which we have been doing, which has been good for us, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, we needed to. We were burning out big time, is I'm starting to backlog on my really what <laughs> I think to share. interesting things to talk <laughs> about. I don't know if anybody else cares, but I'm like, man, I really want to talk about this and this. I'm starting to get behind, so I'm going to try to squeeze in two things. So last week, I hinted at a game that I just recently finished called Rabby Ribby. Were you here, Bill, when I was talking about Rabby Ribby? A little bit, yeah. Okay. All right, so check this out. <laughs> Rabby Ribby is a pixel art Metroidvania style game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where you play as a bunny, but you're not a bunny. <laughs> okay. Okay. You you're a bunny that's been transformed into a girl. Okay. Okay. A human girl? A human girl. I was like, okay. is this another Baba thing? Like, is it a mouse or a bunny? Or a- <laughs> no, it's, it's it's actually really good graphics. We'll talk about okay. that in a minute. This, oh, this is sound like that away for a moment. It's really in your wheelhouse right now, so keep on going. Oh, right yeah. Here. This is perfect. Yeah, so you're searching for your master. Uh-huh. You're your lost master. You're, you're a girl. To, but you're a girl. Okay. Right. And a bunny girl. So a bunny girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just stick with me here. <laughs> so the story is complete nonsense. Terrible. Makes no sense. The graphics... The level graphics are average at best. So you might be thinking, why are you even talking about this game? It sounds terrible. The boss fights in this game are incredible. (laughs) They are incredibly good. I was so sucked Mm -hmm. in. So I've talked about shmups on the show before. So shmups are shoot-em-ups. They're bullet hell games. But they're usually with ships. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're like Uh, like Gradius or R-Type. Or Galaga. Where there's just like bullets everywhere. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? What this game does is it takes that and it applies it to a Metroidvania. So the bosses that you're fighting, you're fighting in a Metroidvania style, but it's just laser beams and bullets and stars. And you're trying to find these thin, narrow windows to survive. To not get hit. hit. And it is incredibly challenging and incredibly fun. Okay. So... I recommend it. Is it random or like there's still patterns? There's absolutely patterns to it. And right. I will tell you, you will fight bosses and you will think this is no, impossible. There's no pattern, right? There's, there's no mm. way. But there actually is one. You just have to die a few times. Mm. Yeah, right. Figure and then you kind of figure out like how you navigate through it. But it, mm. if you were to see it on the screen, like a screenshot, you'd be like, who can survive that? Right. Mm-hmm. But you do. 
right? You figure it out. Okay. Super cool. So like watching people speed run like the final levels of like Mario three, <laughs> right, exactly. like, there's like How? bullets and, and cannonballs everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, what? You should just look at some screenshots of Rabby Ribby okay. and be like, wow, this is incredible, but it it's great. Okay. So for our VR weekend, there's a game that is absolutely that, but you're doing it in real life and you have to physically move your body to dodge uh, okay. all the bullets and stuff like that. And it's super, super cool. But anyway, no, put yeah, that on dude, list. I, I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, check it out. The only thing I'll say is, so this is the one caveat. I was kind of hitting at this earlier. It's in the anime style, the kind of cut mm-hmm. scene. So it's a little, um, kiddish. No, how do you say this? The, the female characters are risque, a little risque. <laughs> okay. okay. So just be aware of that. Okay. You know, it might not be your style. Mm-hmm. Maybe Billy, you'd probably love it, but uh, just, <laughs> just check it out. Just I mean, check I'm it out. Sure I it. Completely family appropriate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Make sure, make sure you're cool with it, but the gameplay, it's super solid. Love awesome. Ravi Rivi. All right. Okay. What's number two? One more thing. Haven't talked about TV shows in a while. Okay. So Tally and I have been trying to get back into watching some shows together because there just hasn't been seemingly a lot that's really seemed interesting. Sure. We found one we really liked that I found really interesting, and it's called The Dropout. Have you guys heard of this one? I haven't. Mm-hmm. So you probably heard about this story. This is based on a true story. This is about Elizabeth Holmes. She is the woman that started that medical startup company called Theranos. Oh, right. Oh, that like ripped a bunch of people off or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. She developed, or at least she claimed that she had developed a piece of technology to where she could take a single drop of blood and basically mm-hmm. run ready to order any lab test that you could possibly need that would somehow interface with your medical record, which right. isn't too far from reality, actually. But she wasn't there. But she was selling it as if she was there. And long story short, there's no spoiler here because everybody, I mean, she got arrested. She's in prison now. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those stories where you know where it's going. Right. But it's just so fascinating. It really is a good watch to see how people can kind of start with good intentions. Mm-hmm. And you just see how they just go wrong. Right. Through like power and money and fear of loss. Okay. Right. And just kind of seeing her and her partners and things going down this really tragic path. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really good watch. It's like okay. seven episodes. Okay. Cool. Highly recommend it. Amanda Seyfried is the actress. Mm-hmm. Okay. She plays her perfectly. She's like mm-hmm. a mimicker. Just exactly her mannerisms oh. and everything are just like Elizabeth Holmes. So. What platform? Oh, shoot. Um, I don't remember. You'd have to Google it. Okay. I cannot recall, <laughs> honestly. But yeah, it's worth watching. Okay. Yeah, like a drug-based Enron. Kind exactly. Of <laughs> it, it's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Cool. What Talk. about you, Cam? Cool. Well, in general, uh, I'm having a, a great summer with all sorts of woodworking and all sorts of stuff like that. But we're anticipating our second baby coming in September. That's right. So getting the nesting back up and going. Yeah. But uh, we're going to lose you again for a few months, I think. <laughs> right. Congrats <laughs> I, I, again. I'm, I'm that's, sure that's I'll be good, around though. a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Two kids. We're going to two kids. We're both terrified. Uh, it'll be fine. <laughs> Speaking of watching TV movies with your spouse, Casey and I haven't gotten to do a lot of that recently, but we did watch a movie together recently. And it's one that I'm really surprised I didn't hear more about, I guess, in more mainstream circles. And that's the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Dude, this is on my to watch list. I I highly recommend it. I had an absolute blast watching this movie. Somehow it came up with like um, 
there was like promotional bonuses. So I actually own it. I don't buy a ton of stuff on Amazon, but mm. I, we were like six bucks. I'm buying. That. Yeah, for sure. Because we just had a great time watching it. And, and maybe that's because I have so many warm history, feelings yeah. of, and wonderful memories of playing Dungeons and Dragons, particularly with you as my dungeon master. Yeah. But I just I heard felt the movie like, has tons of fan service oh in it. Oh my gosh. So much fan service from a film criticism perspective. Like there's nothing really that original about the story itself. Mm -hmm. If you've played any D and D, but that's almost like part of the charm, (laughs) right? Did they start in a tavern or something? There's just so many things where you're just like, yep, this sounds like a pretty typical, you know, so many head nods to everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, In a typical D and D story, you're like, Oh yeah. Not surprised that that guy turns out he's a bad guy, you know, like (laughs) that kind of thing. But it's just so well done. The cast is amazing. I mean, yeah. it's got Chris Pine. It's right. got, um, and now I should have written down the actual list of all the names because I'm so bad at recalling actors Doesn't and actresses' names. Doesn't have the girl names. from Fast and the Furious in it? What is her he, name? Yes. Uh, and she's and she's also on Lost. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic right. job as the barbarian <laughs> right. character yeah. and pulls it off super, super well. Yeah. Um, Isn't Chris Pine like a bard or something? He's a bard. So he <laughs> characterizes the whole leader role. And and it's interesting because they handle magic pretty well in like the obviously Dungeons and Dragons. Like everybody has some type of magic that they use, including the bards. He doesn't have magic, but <laughs> he just embodies that whole charismatic leader. Yeah. Well, always optimistic, always ready to think on his feet type of thing and try to solve it. What's, what's <clears throat> magical about this movie to me is that <laughs> if I was challenged to write a D and a D movie, you would almost think you'd have to have somebody narrate it like they're the dungeon master. Right. Right? Yeah. You would just think you'd, this, if it's going to be a D and D movie, you got to have somebody who's, who's operating in that role. And they do such a good job of morphing that into the bard role. So that he, Interesting. That, it, that you get that feel that yes. he's that kind of planner kind and of all telling of, his story. Kind mm-hmm. of telling a story, yeah. but he's also acting as the players and trying to figure out, okay, how do we handle <laughs> this situation that's been placed in front of us? Yeah. And it kind of gives you that feel of the party coming together and say, okay, how are we going right. to just handle this crazy situation that the dungeon master's throwing at us? Yeah. And yeah. so, how are we going to cross this river or whatever? Right, yeah. exactly. And they also do another thing really well, which I, I've actually played the character of the young wild magic mage. Dude, that was one so of my many favorite. Times, yes. Dark Blade. Isn't that the one that gives you the D100 table? It, it is. And you the roll the D100 and, and then you just get a random re- spell. That's right. And he makes a reference to that at one point. <laughs> in the some, movie? And yeah, at one point oh, the, the guy's like, you know, didn't you make this happen? He's like, yeah, that was wild magic. I had no control over, over <laughs> oh, that. And hysterical. I was like, yes, I've done that before in a game. <laughs> so, oh man, it was just, it was just incredibly fun. And here's the other thing. D&D can go a lot of different directions depending on your group in terms of how we'll say family friendly, the content can be sure. Right. They did the best job making a family friendly movie out of D and D because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any qualms. If I was sitting with my nieces and nephews and it was like, we're going to watch a movie. I would show this to them and they're, you know, yeah. (laughs) Seven to 10 years old. Right. Like, I would let them watch that movie because there's very little, if any foul language, there's no overt sexual content. Right, right, right. It didn't have to be that way. It, you could call it a perfectly legit take on a and d game if there were, because there's plenty of things like that in right. the stories. Right. But they made a clean movie and it works so well. And I was just delighted. Honestly, That's I got so done cool. and I was like, I'm so glad that I watched that movie and I can't wait to watch it again. 
So here's a tiny little spoiler. So close your ears if you if you want to. But <laughs> there's there's a section in there where you see another parties that are in there. And I don't know if any of you watched the Dungeons and Dragons Saturday morning cartoon. Do you remember? Oh that? yeah, mm-hmm. you remember that with the little short bald guy. I don't. I can't remember all of the characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but I can't remember his name. But yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> the, they have a head nod to that party. That's like they're, they're <laughs> no they're, way. Yes, there's like another group that's running away from him. And if you could freeze frame it and look at him, it's those characters. That's either. so great. Oh, Isn't that wow. awesome? Isn't that cool? Yeah. So, so Here, just here's keep a, Here's another minor spoiler, but I'm just so curious. The, the true litmus test was there an owl bear in this movie? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I won't no. tell you in what fashion. Okay. Yeah. Don't tell me. Yeah. Right. The, yes. It's <laughs> so great. I got, there's, there's also, why have I not watched there's this There's also yet, a dragon, really? but in the best possible way that you can <laughs> just, that you, just watch it. Okay. And, uh, so and cool. tell me what you think of the dragon that appears. Okay. I'll check it out. That's, that's awesome. That's man. my thing. So speaking of talking about movies. Yep. I want to give a brief plug for our Patreon backstage discussion this time. If you aren't on Patreon, we have a Patreon exclusive podcast that we offer called Hidden Gems Backstage. Mm-hmm. And we talk about all sorts of stuff on this podcast. Everything. Completely off the cuff. Very little preparation. <laughs> um, Board games, video games, how we're feeling. We talk about all <laughs> sorts of stuff. And this time... We are going to to do another sort of a top five list against my better judgment. <laughs> it's either going to be ten on this minutes episode. or Sorry. an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> I've worked all afternoon to work <laughs> reduce my top five to my top thirty-two. So it will go fast. So this one's going to be significant movies that we think would be hidden movies. Yeah, kind of. So the thought was briefly, whenever people talk about what movies do you like, you know, they're always the ones that come up. And rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, yeah. Shawshank Redemption, whatever. You know, movies that just people talk about yeah. a lot. My thought was it might be fun to talk about movies that we really enjoy for one particular reason and never really caught on or for whatever reason we like them a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a lot of people know about them or like them and kind of talk about that. Basically hidden gems, but just movies. Basically, yeah. And, yeah. and 15 recommended movies yep. all in one backstage episode. So I'm curious to see how many I've watched of y'all's. That's what I was going to say. At right. the beginning, we should predict how many, <laughs> how many? We, we think that the other two people have watched. All right. anyway. So if you aren't on Patreon... You're welcome to join us, yep. especially on this episode. We think it's going to be a lot of fun. You can join for as little as $2. We've got a $5 tier, a $10 tier. And last but not least, certainly in this episode, mm-hmm. we have a $15 tier, and that's our gem miner tier. Yep. And that's important because this episode, we are featuring a guaranteed game review from one of our gem miners, Sean Flory. Yep. So, Sean, thank you so much for being a patron. Thanks for being a gem miner. And we're delighted that we get to review your game and share your thoughts from that game on this episode. And that's what you get when you uh, are a gem miner. So we invite you, if that's something that sounds interesting to you, you can sign up to be a gem miner. It's 15 bucks a month. And we guarantee a game review. We talk with you over email about your thoughts on that game. We get you to send us your pros, your cons. Yep. And we interact with you on an episode when we review your game, kind of as if you're right here with us, right here at the table, which is pretty fun for us. Yep. We'll read your final thoughts in narrative form, just as if you were speaking into the microphone yourself. That's kind of what we're going for. That's right. So stay tuned for Sean's game later this episode. 
And finally, I just want to throw out a sincere thank you to each and every one of our patrons over at Patreon. Guys, you pay all of the bills for this episode. Anyone who's made a podcast knows there's all sorts of subscriptions that you have to have and licensing for music and all sorts of stuff. And we paid for that out of our pocket, basically, for the first two years that we've been doing this yep. show. And thanks to you, we actually just have to make the episode now. Yep, we're covered. <laughs> our expenses are covered. Yeah. So thank you for supporting the show financially. Thanks for signing up, enjoying backstage with us and giving us an audience over there. We really do enjoy interacting with you and we're grateful for your financial support. Yep, totally. <laughs> Okay, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm tired and can use a drink. (laughs) What if you got something for us, Chris? Bill's fired up and ready. I do. So for tonight's guaranteed review for Sean Flory, he had requested that we review the racing game Ave Caesar. And so I thought, well, how can we work that into an episode? So I thought, why don't we do games that have a Roman theme? Common, common, common in board games. There's so mm-hmm. many. I had a ton to choose right. from. Mm-hmm. I kind of picked that on purpose to intentionally get to play a game that's been on my shelf of shame for a while. But there's just so many to choose from there. And for the cocktail tonight, I went with the Aperol Spritz. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, apparently, is that the Aperol Spritz is a very popular drink in Rome, as it turns out. It's an aperitif, actually, and it's frequently drunk over there for that reason, apparently. I've never been to Rome. Maybe one day. Is that because the Appian Way is like, <laughs> isn't it there? No idea. Okay. Have you either all been? I've been to Rome, yes. Have you? Yeah. I spent, what, maybe three or four days in Rome? Was that when you were on your sites? Europe yeah, Grand Tour trip? Yep. When you, yeah, okay. That's right. Yep. We saw all the major sites, the fountain and the Colosseum. Yeah, you and, worked like on a farm and Denmark or Norway or something. Yeah. I did all sorts of stuff. It was a three month long trip. Yeah. You were in Italy, I think Amalfi coast for a bit or no, we went to, I flew into Rome and a friend of mine who was a teacher happened to be on fall break. And so I was like, you want to come to Rome? So I was like, Actually? Yeah, maybe I'll do that. So, so I met <laughs> up with awesome. a friend of mine. We just walked around and toured Rome for a couple of days and then went to Florence for a little bit. Then we parted ways and I went to the Cinque Terre. Right. Oh, yeah. Isn't the Cinque Terre Part of the Amalfi Coast in Italy, or am I just totally I have, wrong about that? I have that? no idea. I would have to brush mm-hmm. up my geography. I don't know, but we were supposed to go there like two years ago, and we're actually planning one for next year, the starting in Pisa and then going to Cinque Terre and then yeah. going across the northern part of Italy. There are so many beautiful parts of Italy. Mm. Yeah. Side note, the board game Cinque Terre uh-huh. mm. oh, yeah. is an awesome We've game. we played it, right? Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. It is a fun game. Yeah. On the podcast one day, hopefully. Yeah. It's cool. very worthy, for sure. All right, well, let's get in some games, guys. Yeah, I say let's do it. The year is 79 BC. Scylla, the uncontested master of Rome, is preparing to abdicate. During his reign, the Roman Senate has rediscovered its glory, and many are the pretenders to his supreme power. But Rome is a fickle mistress. The people are hungry and want for bread and circuses. Only the most cunning politicians will make the most of the situation. Recruit followers to your side to help you make progress down the road to glory. Rule your soldiers with a fist of iron to try to prevent threats that menace the Republic while also satisfying the desires of the people. Nice. (laughs) Scylla, published in 2008. By Astari Games. 
We have done an entire episode on Yastari Games, by the yeah. way. If you're new to the podcast, that was early. Mm-hmm. That was like in the first five episodes yeah, somewhere. It was. And this is another one. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 2,180. Designer of Scylla is Dominic Earhart, who's actually a pretty well-known designer. He has designed a little fun area control game called Condo Thierry. Have y'all okay. played Condo Thierry? Mm-hmm. That game is a hoot. Oh, so yeah? Depending on the version you have, you got to have the right version. The Eurogames version is the best, I think, but it's hilarious. Lasco, exploring okay. early ancestral art. I don't know if y'all played that I one either. I feel like I have, but I couldn't tell you. It's the one that's kind of got like the no thanks style auction with the shells or rocks. Um, oh. And you were collecting cave painting um, yes. cards. Yes, this is ringing a bell. Yeah, it's super cool. Marrakech and Serenissima, which is getting reprinted, I heard. So he's got several pretty well-known designs. This game I've had on my shelf for a while and have been wanting to get it played. And this was the one I was talking about, alluding okay. to earlier. Because for many years, this was on Z Garcia's top 100 games of all time. So he really likes it. Mm -hmm. This game was also recommended to us by one of our followers on the guild, Helder Pando, also known as Pandomonio on BGG. So thanks for the recommendation, Helder. All right. Brief rule summary. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) try. Priscilla. I'm going to get comfortable here. Good luck. Yeah, get get comfortable. So in all honesty... I am not going to go through every detail of the rules here because it would take too long. It's not a complicated game, but here's the thing about Scylla. Not to there show. There are only seven phases. Yeah, there are only seven phases. It's really not a complicated game, in my opinion, but it is a weird one. There really aren't any games quite like this. And so I think if I don't at least cover things with some degree of granularity, you're going to have no clue what we're talking about. Right. right. Okay, but I'm going to try to not go too crazy here. Scylla is an auction game of sorts where the players take on the role of Roman senators who are trying to recruit different characters to help them accomplish their personal goals, all while trying to keep the Roman people they represent happy. The game of Scylla takes place over five rounds, and as Cameron mentioned, each round consists of seven phases. In phase one, the players will vote for the office of consul. The role of console is helpful and then it gives that player the tie-breaking abilities that occur during the round when applicable, and that will often happen, and it gives them a res publica token of their choice. The reason why I mention that is I need to explain the res publica tokens because they're important. Mm-hmm. So on the game board, there is a track that rests at the top of the board. It's like a ladder, and in the middle of that ladder sit three tokens that represent three different things that the people are either going to be happy or upset about, civic spirit, health, and leisure. As those tokens move to the right and the left on that ladder, those tokens, depending on how many you have, will increase the value of those tokens. So if the leisure token is worth three, every leisure token you have at the game is worth three points. Whereas if it moves to the left and the people are pissed about that, those tokens are worth fewer points. Okay, So that's one thing you really need to understand about this game. The vote for console is handled by way of a standard once-around English-style auction, and the number of votes a player puts forward is based on the number of senators they have face up in front of them, plus the number of coins they are willing to commit towards the bid, with the high bid winning the console and paying the coins. So that's a lot of granularity, but I did that on purpose because I need to talk about the cards. Okay, so I mentioned senators, all right? So how do you get a senator? Well, everybody starts the game with four characters of their choice, but they will add one additional card to their tableau every round during phase two. 
basically every player is going to select a character in turn order from a display of six available characters. There are five different types of characters available. Senators, Merchants, Legionnaires, Vestal Virgins, and Servants. Each character grants a specific ability during some phase of the game, but they also will have pictured above them anywhere from one to three different colored hexagons. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked. In phase three, the players will have the opportunity to purchase buildings, and they're all awesome. (laughs) And that's all I'll say about them. But basically, you want these things. Mm -hmm. Okay, They're, They're all good, and they give you coins and points and just different good things you want. Okay? But what's really interesting here, and if you don't get anything else I say from the rules, just lock into this because we're going to come back to this, I'm sure. What's really interesting here is the way the buildings are purchased. Okay, So every round, five of six buildings will go up for auction, and every two buildings are assigned a colored hexagon, red, yellow, or gray. As I mentioned, every character card has a different combination of hexagons associated with it. So you will bid for a building based on the number of hexagons you have of that color. So for example, if you put up a building that's under the red hexagons, and I only have three cards in front of me that have red hexagons on them, I can at most bid three. I could bid less than that if I want, but at most I could bid three. Now, what's significant is if you win the bid, and this is the last thing I'll mention about how this phase works. Again, this is very important. You tap the character cards that you used to buy that building if you win the bid, and now... Those character cards are no longer active for the rest of the round. This is incredibly important. So you got the building you wanted, but now that character won't do anything else for you for the rest of the round. Okay. In phase four, players generate income. You'll generate a certain amount of money. The more merchants you have, the more money you will generate. But again, if you tap them to buy buildings, you'll get less money. In phase five, the players will attempt to influence events. I kind of have to talk about this a little bit, too, because it's a little bit weird. All right. This is where the Legionnaires and the Vestal Virgins come into play. So there are four events on the side of the board. At the start of this phase, everybody will put a cube on all their Legionnaires and Vestal Virgins, and they can take those cubes and place them on those events to influence them in turn order. On the card is a Respublica token that you will win if you hold the majority of cubes on that card. And then there's also a negative event associated with that card. The two cards that get the most votes between all the players, the negative event doesn't happen. But the two cards that get the least votes, the negative event does happen. And this can be really punishing. We'll talk about that more in the review. Then finally, in phase six, the players will decide if they want to contribute towards the construction of the great work that is being worked on for that round. And this is done by way of a blind bid auction. I'm not going to talk too much about this because I don't want to go on too long. We'll probably talk about it in the review, but like I said, it's a blind bid, basically, where you're committing a certain number of senators and coins to try to get points and or get your res publica markers to move to the left or the right. Okay, And then phase seven is just basically a cleanup phase. At the end of the fifth round, in-game scoring will occur. Um, it's important to note that some of your characters can be Christians, and they'll have a little fish symbol on them, and if they're face up... At the end of the game, every Christian is worth two points. And then every servant at the end of the game can be freed for three points apiece at a cost of two coins per servant. (laughs) And that's basically how you play Scylla. I left out a lot of things. 
it may have been confusing. Like I said, I didn't want the rules to go on too long, but there, this is just such a weird one. Okay. But that should hopefully give you a general idea of how it works. And maybe we'll flesh out the rest when we go through our thoughts on the game. All right. So typically when we do these themed type episodes, often our introductory question is how well do you feel like the game captured the feeling that it was going for the theme that it was going for in this particular game, as I mentioned The idea is you're taking on the role of a Roman senator Mm -hmm. and you're trying to make the people happy. Again, that's represented by these Reds Publica tokens that kind of move back and forth on this track. Amidst all those mechanisms that I just explained, do you feel like this game captured that theme well? (laughs) I mean, I think your caveat there kind of captures what I'm thinking about it is that it's kind of complicated, right? There's a lot of inner working parts. The cards kind of look like it. The artwork on it, it's very Roman. But as far as the mechanics of the game, I, I got a little lost in that a little bit. I mm-hmm. thought uh, it was more task-oriented, I guess. Okay. But what do you think, Cameron? So I feel a little bit differently about it. I think it actually did a great job with yeah. the Roman theme. Because at least for me, the way that I settled into the game thematically is you're taking on the role of a Roman senator, right? So... Mm-hmm. Your job isn't necessarily merely to make the people happy. It's to advance your own goals yes. up against your fellow competing senators, right? Mm. While not completely making all of the people very upset with you. <laughs> so that's kind of how I viewed the whole three tracks of public happiness, right? Yeah. If I make the people happy, it makes me look really good. If I make the people sad, it makes me look poor, right? <laughs> and then there's this interesting dynamic of the events yeah. and working together I think at this is different the times strongest thematic part of the game. Where yeah. sometimes you and I are competing for our own interests, but sometimes we have to work together in order to keep the people from thinking generally poorly about the Senate, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, like if you're thinking of it from this kind of purely political Republic contest, I really felt like the theme came across and then the whole voting with your thumb yeah. out to the side and up or down and in this blind auction thing for the public work. Right. I, I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. I skipped through that part pretty quickly in the rules. So I just wanted to get to our thoughts, but yeah, in that blind bid phase, you do put a certain number of coins in your hand for voting and you hold your hand out with the thumb to the side. Yeah. And then on one, two, three, either like Commodus and gladiator. Exactly. You, know? <laughs> you thumb up or you thumb down, which I thought was a night touch. But I do want to go back to these events because I did feel like there was a lot of theme in these events. So mm. there is like a Christian persecution card right? Mm. where your Christian characters, if you don't work with the other people at the table and maybe they don't want to work with you because they're mm. not incentivized to, if you have a Christian character, it will get flipped face down. And then if that event is not eliminated, another one will get flipped face down, right? Until True. you work together to prevent it. And so that's like your Christians getting persecuted, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a similar one for the economy. You have the like uh senators, raiders, merchant chat, senators get merchant yeah. or get, <laughs> senators get murdered. So yeah, every senator gets flipped <laughs> uh, face down. Right. And then there's also I, we won't go too in detail, but I mean I think it is very thematic. There's a card called decadence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which if you're not trying to get rid of that, basically that's representing the senators. Well, it's always there. It never goes away. Well, it's always there, but if you don't prevent it, yeah. basically that means you're spending more time with booze and yeah. the other temptation things. to <laughs> indulge 
into decadence in the pleasures activities. of life. <laughs> and there. If you don't prevent that, every single well, not every single, but every res publica token that's farthest to the right moves to the left. Right. So basically right. you're pissing the people off, right? <laughs> Because you're not doing anything, you're just pleasuring yourself, right? Yeah. So I thought that was really kind of neat. True. All right. So we got to get into mechanisms here, and I just can't help myself. I'm going to get you guys started here. <laughs> okay. So I really want to talk about these auctions, specifically this idea, at least this is how I thought of it, of auctions with multi-purpose cards, right? Mm. So, And what I mean by that is, is that your character cards are your bidding power for buildings, but they also have an ability, right? So you right. can use them for two different things. How do you feel like that played out in this game? Well, to kind of paraphrase exactly what you're saying, yeah, your, your people have the circles at the bottom. Their two powers are helping you act as currency to buy buildings and then also act as currency to influence events. So every right. time you, you tap one, you are limiting yourself on both those events, and both those events are very important, right? I thought it was a great decision point because you're just always angsty at every time you're bidding on a building. It's like, if I do this, then I am not going to be able to yes. do that. Yep. And it was kind of cool and kind of interesting and a great feature of the game, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely felt that the tension in that part of the game. Because you almost have to think of like, okay, this round is sort of an infrastructure building round, right? Because I need the benefit that this building is going to give me for subsequent rounds. And therefore, I'm not going to be able to get the currency benefits of the work vote or the event influence Mm -hmm. this round. But I need this so that the next rounds aren't as tight or painful. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I found this part of the game to be just really, really interesting, just trying to figure out what everything was worth. You know, the valuations in this game were so hard. And that's Mm. the key, I think, to a really good auction-style game is it should be hard to figure out the valuations, right? Mm -hmm. And I've constantly found myself struggling with, okay, do I tap these cards and get this building? Because like I said, you want these buildings. These buildings are good. They help you a ton. But then you tap all your cards and you look at the events and you're like, I tapped all of my Vestal Virgins and my Legionnaires, and now I can't influence any events. And you can get nailed in these events. So then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to recruit more Legionnaires, and I'm going to hold them. But then you're not buying buildings, and you see people getting these really awesome buildings. You're like, dang it, I need those buildings. And you're like, (laughs) right? You know, you're just like constantly trying to figure out what is the right move, and it's so hard. Which is also thematic. (laughs) Right, right. You're struggling (laughs) with the decisions, right? To me, that's just so critical. If I play a game and I just feel like I know what to do all the time, I'm not engaged. Right. And I always felt like I didn't, not that I didn't know what I was doing. I always felt unsure about what I was doing. Right. And that is good. And it wasn't because I didn't understand the rules. It was because Mm. I was just struggling to understand what everything was really worth to me in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I was just eating that up, to be honest. So I have a question for you, Cameron. How did you feel about when you're buying the buildings that only five out of six of the buildings were sold per round. <laughs> I feel like you crafted that question like specifically <laughs> for me because I was so vocal about how frustrating that was. <laughs> yeah. So as Bill mentioned, not all the buildings get purchased each round. Mm-hmm. So if you hold out, you could be in a situation where you're thinking, I'm just going to get that one because everyone else will have tapped all their cards. Right. So then I'll get the late one. But you have to remember the last one is not 
going to get picked up. Yeah. So there's tension on that For ground sure. too, right? If the first building that you're bidding on, you might be tempted to say, I'll just let someone else have that one and they'll use all their cards on it and then right. I'll be able to get this for cheap. And it may not come up for auction. Right. Right. Yeah, right. It might not come up. And it's also important to note that that very last building, it's not like you just refill for the next round, leaving that one in place. It gets thrown out. So, for example, there's a wheat one. This race against the clock. Yeah, like I didn't for, talk about the famine or stuff. The fam, yeah. This famine state that happens every once in a while. And when the famine hits you, everybody loses a certain number of points unless, unless you, have you have these fields. wheat tokens. Yeah. And so if you're the one person may have strong feelings about this, because I was that one person frequently <laughs> who doesn't have any wheat tokens and someone just lets that one get thrown out. You're like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in future rounds, when they come back up, you feel this crazy temptation to overbid, to overbid food, for it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which again is a good thing, right? <laughs> right. You start to get desperate, right? right? But then you have to gather yourself, mm-hmm. try to get control of yourself and be mm-hmm. like, okay, I know I really need this, but. I really shouldn't spend five characters on this, <laughs> but I really need this tile, yeah, right? And yeah. so you're constantly doing that calculus and that mental struggle in your head in this yeah. game. And it's always true of auction games. You have to calibrate the actual value of the thing that you're bidding on. Right. Because you could get it, but if you do, you might be putting yourself behind. Or you may have been able to get more points using your cards in another way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're constantly trying to decide, did I do it? a good job there spending those four cards to get that building or should I just kept them face up and used them for events or used them in another way. Right. Again, you're going back and forth in that constantly in this game. I think one thing we should touch on, I'll throw this out to you guys for your thoughts. Let's talk a little bit more about these Res Publica tokens. Yeah, Cause they, the, the, this must be discussed because a lot of points come from this. Bill yes. knows this. He won mm-hmm. last time because he raked in on these. Mm-hmm. How much control did you feel like you had over that part of the game, either acquiring them or even more importantly, I guess, determining how much they're worth? So just to quickly review, as I mentioned, every token is represented on a ladder that Mm -hmm. slides back and forth. And the farther to the right it is at the end of the game, every one of those tokens is worth more. The farther to the left, it's worth less. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like that played out in the game and execution? So it's kind of funny. Whenever I play a game like this, Whenever you have any kind of situation where you have X number of things is scored by multiplying it by some other numbers, yeah. Chris's eyes bulge a little bit. I mean, he generally yeah. has a really good <laughs> poker face, but, but you just kind of realize this, this is really important. Yeah. And so, yeah, th- that last game, I really did target those event cards to get a lot of those chits. If I get my Vestal Virgins and your Sentries, which are the two that you can put out there to get influence. So I was pretty intentional about trying to pull those in specifically. There is also a building that will allow you to move the multiplier left and right. And so I focused really hard on getting that so that I could keep that score high. Make that chip you are focusing on more valuable. Exactly. So my multiplier was one higher. I think it's a viable strategy. My counter question to you guys is... Did you feel like you had many mechanisms to keep somebody from achieving that if that was their strategy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, apart from the one building, which I think those buildings come out in phases as they the do. game progresses. The two main mechanisms that allow for player control of where those markers live on that ladder are the wonder votes. Right. Yes. Is that what yeah, they call yeah. the wonder vote? Yeah, the public work. The public work. Yeah, we, we didn't talk about this too much in the rules, but just what Cameron's getting at is the number of affirmative votes between all the players at the table 
you basically divide that by five and that's how many spaces that marker will move to the right if that one is up. So like the health marker. Is that mm. true of every one of them or is it particular to the card? I, I thought it was it's particular to the card, but yeah. they come up in they certain pretty, order. Pretty so let's say the health work comes up. If a lot of people vote for that particular work, that marker can really run to the right. Means, yeah. Whereas mm. if nobody votes for it, it's not going to move at all, which right. you may not want it to move because you may not have a lot of those. So right. that might influence your decision right. in that or phase of the game. if you've been watching or you suspect that someone has a color of token and is going to profit by green being super high, then maybe you want to intentionally try to vote it down. And similarly, I think... Or get a lot of them. Right, right. Yourself. Compete with it and, and mm-hmm. wash it out a little bit. Right. The other way that you can sort of have any amount of control is if the events come up that are associated with that token, if you just avoid assisting with those, yes, you can drive it down. Yeah. Yeah. So the events, and I hope we're not getting too in the weeds here, but I'll just, I'll mention it really quickly. There are some events that will cause those tokens to move to the left. And so you may not want it to move to the left, but everybody else at the table may want it to move to the left. Right. And one thing about these events, and we should mention this before we move on, is there's a lot of shared incentives in these events, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I may not want Christians to get flipped over because I might have one Christian Mm -hmm. and Cameron might have one Christian. But if Bill has five Christians, which is Mm -hmm. public, then we should mention that. It's public information. Count them. I'm very content for Christians <laughs> to get persecuted mm-hmm. and Bill may try everything in his power to keep that event from happening. But if everybody else at the table is not interested, he may find himself having a hard time not preventing that from happen. And so you get in this really interesting shared incentives part of the events, right? Where it's you, in the game. We don't want any Christians to actually get yeah, exactly persecuted. in the game. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've been talking for a while. Haven't yeah. We? All right. Well, Shall we do final thoughts? Sure. Let's do it. Bill, kick us off. All right. Well, I will say that to me that it was so good in so many ways. It's a pretty easy teach, even though it may have come across as being kind of complicated. I do think it's the kind of game you need a group of people that I think are willing to play it with you multiple times because mm-hmm. like yep. you're talking about the valuation part of it, that just manifests slowly. So if you're in a group that's going to be kind of one and done with this, this may not be the game for you. It's funny. I have in my final thoughts, it was great on theme. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that it is good on themes. I'll just say there's just a lot going on in this game. <laughs> I was waffling actually between a five and a six, but wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a five, I think, because I think it's a good solid game and I yeah. would absolutely play it again. Nice. Cool. All right, Cam. So I think what I want to say about this game is that I really appreciated a lot of of elements of this game. I really did. Especially theme. Like I said, I think it did a lot to put you in the perspective of the thematic character that you were meant to embody as you play the game. And I think it carries through. It's not merely pasted on, uh, which we often say when it's not embedded in the mechanisms, right? On those things, I think I should give it really good marks. Where I struggled with this one, and I didn't speak up about this during cons because it's very nonspecific mm-hmm. because my reaction is just based on how I felt playing the game. Sure. Yeah. And that is that like as engaged as I felt in the game, I never felt excited. Mm. I never felt like there was any momentum building for me. 
um, not just am I doing well or am I doing poorly, but like, do I feel yeah. like the game had an arc that I cared about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe foreshadowing a little bit for another game we're going to be reviewing later. But. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but just like, did I feel invested? Do I feel like there were things that I like wanted to try next time? And I just didn't. And usually when I have that feeling when I play a game, usually I'm looking at a three. And so that's kind of where I'm going to land. I, I don't think that there's anything mechanically bad about this game. I, I think in a lot of ways it embodies a lot of the qualities that we would say would be a good game, if not a great game. Mm-hmm. But there's just that it, it missed that special sauce. Yeah. That's kind of our, our catchphrase for when we give something a three. It's just like it, di- it didn't leave me feeling anything right. special. And or or like before. Bill likes to say, it doesn't have the warm fuzzies. Yeah, this yeah. is not a warm fuzzy game yeah. no. I, I, and at so all. I can't mm-hmm. give a four to a game that in the night, and I'm like, cool, that was a game, <laughs> and and it's it's a high quality game, right? But meh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I don't need to play it more times, right? Yeah, but that's where I land. I know that's not exciting, but I know, dude. dude. <laughs> It's what we, we got to do. It's a three. Hey, we, we, I feel like we cover the spectrum. I feel yeah. like we balance each other well. I love hearing your thoughts, honestly. So we talked about warm fuzzies. Not important at all to me in the game. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I usually don't want to feel warm and fuzzy. If I feel too warm and fuzzy, I don't feel like I'm being challenged. And this game is not warm and fuzzy at all. You need to know that going in. But holy cow, what a game. In my opinion, this game knocked my freaking socks off. And I will say this, saying I never won this game, and I still feel this strongly about the game. The, the puzzle of the game, it just fascinated me. So we love auctions on Hidden Gems. We talk about that a lot. And this game has three right. Right. really weird ones, right? You've got mm-hmm. this English-style auction. you got this auction with cards, and then you've got this blind bid auction, right? And then intermixed within that, as I mentioned in the review, you have these incredibly agonizing valuations that you're trying to figure out of, oh, I really need to save these cars as I really need to influence these events, but I really, really need that building. Maybe I spend it for that building, then you do, and then you're like, dang it, why did I spend that character? Because I yeah. need that character to yeah. influence this event, and now I'm going to get hit with this really negative thing. And you get mad at yourself, but it's in a good way, you know? You're yeah. like, I need to just play better, you know? Yeah. Every time... Something didn't go my way. I was like, well, it's because I did that thing last round, and that was stupid. You know, like, why did I do that? And I found myself constantly going through those mental gymnastics of what is the right thing to do right now and just trying to find it, right? And it was Mm -hmm. always a struggle, but in the best way possible. To me, this is top tier. I'm giving this one a six. Oh, very man. happily. Wow. I, yeah, dude. This game really? is so freaking good. I'm telling you, if you like auctions with a touch of Sheridan Sinners, which this definitely does have with the events, mm-hmm. I hope that came across in the review, you owe it to yourself to try this game. And there's nothing like it in my opinion. It's very unique. Yeah, I would say it's very unique. It's just so cool. So, yeah, highly recommend Scylla. Yeah, great. So tell us that we can't find it anywhere now. <laughs> no, you actually can. <laughs> oh, all right. Yes. So at Noble Knight? You can. So there are copies available at Noble Knight. If you do decide to go through Noble Knight, we would appreciate it if you used our discount code. And it's changed. It's new. It's new. New quarter. So it's GEMS10 off. And that's one zero. So GEMS10 off. If you use that discount code, you'll get 10% off your order and you support our friends at Noble Knight Games. We would really appreciate that. Thanks, Noble Knight. 
Thank you, Noble Knight. I used it today. Yeah, you asked what it was earlier today. Yeah. There are also 63 copies on the BGG Marketplace. Mm. So there are a lot. Really satisfied customers. I guess. I I think they just put a lot of these out. I can't figure out why somebody wouldn't want to keep this game. But at any rate, there are 63 copies on BGG if you want to try it out. All right. Those are our thoughts on Scylla. Play it. This was the chant shouted by thousands of Romans as they poured into the great arenas of Overdown. I was trying to go for like like Maximus. If you find yourself, <laughs> if you find yourself in a field wandering like about, <laughs> do not fear, for you are in Elysium and you're already dead. <laughs> I'll do like more like Roman, like the announcer at the Roman. Yeah. This was the chant shouted by thousands of Romans as they poured into the great arenas of over 200 holidays per year to enjoy the epic competitions of ancient Rome. The largest of these arenas was the famous Circus Maximus, erected between the Palatine and Aventine Hills. Here, Circa 500 BC, spectators were treated to the horse-drawn chariot races, in which competitors struggled through seven laps around a perilous 1,200-meter course. Ave Caesar! (laughs) Are you not entertained? Oh, so good. Awesome there, camera. Thanks. Ave Caesar. Published in 1989. Oh. You believe that? Oldie. Many publishers over the years, most recently Asmodee, Ravensburgers, and many, many others. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 1,652. Wow. Designer of this game, Wolfgang Riddiser. So this guy has lots of older designs. I think he was in his wheelhouse in like the early 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Unfortunately, none of them are very good, apparently, except for this one. (laughs) Pretty much all of them are 10,000 plus. That doesn't mean they're bad, but they're all 10,000 plus. Sounds like we need to look into a few of them. Wolfgang Riddiser Riddiser episode. All right, so as mentioned at the top of the show, this game was requested to be reviewed by Sean Flory, our gym miner. So this one is for you, Sean. All right, brief rule summary, and this will be brief for Ave Caesar because it's not too complicated. In Ave Caesar, the players are charioteers participating in the famous Circus Maximus for fame and glory. <laughs> so if that wasn't clear, Ave Caesar is a racing game where the players are trying to cross the finish line first before the other players after completing three laps around a racetrack. The track in Ave Caesar is broken up into several rectangular segments where the players will be placing their chariots during movement. Before we get into the structure of a turn, we should discuss some basics of movement. First, only one chariot can be present in each space, and players' chariots cannot move through other chariots en route to their destination square. That is very important to understand is that chariots block the movement of other chariots, which you will use in this game. When a chariot advances forward, 
It can move directly forward or it can move diagonally as long as there isn't a wall blocking that path. However, a chariot cannot move from side to side. Each player starts the game with an identical deck of movement cards consisting of 24 cards numbered 1 to 6. So 4 1s, 4 2s, 4 3s, all the way up to 4 6s. To start the game, each player will shuffle their deck and then draw the top three cards from their deck. On the active player's turn, they will choose one of their cards to play and move their chariot a number of spaces forward equal to the number printed on the card. However, it's important to note that if the player cannot move the full movement, again, because they're blocked, they cannot play that card. If the player doesn't have a card that plays, their turn is skipped. So basically what this means is if I only have two available spaces in front of me before I run into people and I don't have a one or a two in my hand, I can't move. Mm -hmm. So I have to skip my turn until space opens up in front of me and then I can go again. Once the player plays their card, if able, they draw a card, bringing their hand back up to a total of three cards. Interestingly, if a player is in the lead, that player cannot play a six-value card, so the highest card. And if they only hold six-value cards in their hand, that being the leader, their turn is skipped. So basically, you can't play a six if you're in the lead. Mm. Sometime during the first two laps of the race, each player must direct their chariot into the emperor's lane. So you can think of this as like a pit stop. It's kind of like a lane that juts off from the main track. And when they do this, they must stand up very importantly and present their plastic coin that comes in the game as tribute to Caesar and yell, Ave Caesar! If you don't do that, you can't win the game. So you must do that. One last word about the racetrack. It's important to understand that the outer lanes of the track consist of more spaces than the inner lanes. This makes the outer lanes suboptimal because they are slower, but it should also be noted that because of how the decks are structured, if a player takes the outside line too many times during the race, they will not have enough movement points to actually make it to the finish line on the third lap. So getting forced to the outside, kind of bad for two reasons. Okay. Basically how you play Ave Caesar. Good job. All right. That's kind of it. All right, so as we mentioned, how we're going to do this one is we're not going to have a central question here. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start by reading Sean's pros. So I'll just kind of get them all out there, and that'll kind of give us a jumping off point to where we can address each individual point and how we kind of felt about that part of the game. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, okay. sure. All right, so according to Sean Flory, pros. Turns are very quick. You know what cards you have available to you, so it's easy to plan out your turn. Having said that, There's nothing more satisfying than moving into a position another player had planned on being in and blocking them. Yes, when you get your cards, it's easy to make it a call, and it feels so good when you can move into a blocking position. So, yeah. Yeah, I would also note that this game can have many people playing it, and so it is valuable when a game allows for really quick turns, right? You're not sitting there forever. There's a lot of times where it was like, I just went. It's already my turn again. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, without a doubt. This game is a filler style game, which there's nothing wrong with that. We like fillers here for sure. And a big part of that is because it does go really quick. You have three cards. They have a number on them. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's no text, anything like that. You really just have to consider those numbers. And so, yeah, your turns do go pretty quick. Yeah. I do think that there's another reason for that, but I will save that. What if they did have a text? What if it was like, (laughs) 
I play a three, I move three spaces, and then I flamethrower the guy right. next to me. Right. <laughs> we get your Ben Hur spikes on the side. Exactly. And in you. I might actually enjoy that, but yeah, I, Mario Kart version of a Caesar. Uh, along <laughs> this line, I do kind of have a con, but I'm not going to jump there yet. Let's read the next pro. The rule where the leader cannot play a six movement card is a nice catch-up mechanic without really being a catch-up mechanic. You can still play other high movement cards, so it doesn't really slow down the leader that much, but it gives the rest of the pack a chance to catch up. I'll agree with that. I think it's a good rule, especially in the very last part of the end game when you're approaching the finish line. I think that, yeah. that plays into it quite a bit. Yeah, I 100% agree with this comment. I think this is actually one of the best designed parts of the game because it is possible, depending on how the decks shuffle and cards fall, that if somebody jumps out to an early lead and they have a lot of high cards towards the top of the deck, they could just blow everybody away. Right. Right. It can be hard to overtake people in this game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the leader can't play a six and the fact that at some point in the game, players have to pit stop Mm-hmm. that slows you down too. Cause that's kind of like a long route that right. allows the people that are in behind to get in front of that person right. to kind of jam them up a little bit right. and block them. So it feels like you have a chance to get back in the game and balance things out. I thought that was handled pretty well, honestly. Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny in the last game because of my trying to avoid the pack. I did end up with three sixes in my hand and I ended up in the first place and I had to skip my turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a great catch mechanism. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a good rule. Yeah. Next point, having different tracks on each side of the main board adds a nice mix up to sequential races. And while it may not seem so at first glance, changing the direction of the races is actually something we didn't do. Yeah. When I, when I saw that, I was um, like, Oh, That could be interesting. You can run the race clockwise or counterclockwise can make a big difference in how the race resolves. Hmm. Okay. I'd have to think about that. Yeah, I would too. So we didn't play in the counterclockwise direction. I did see that in the rules, but I struggle to see how that really changes anything. I mean, I think the only difference is that if you're going counterclockwise, the first big turn, all the paths are equal. And the equal number uh, of spaces, so that could, the outer could see longer. that maybe at least making the first part of the lap being a bit different. Yeah, and, and there's I think there's a blocker closer to the finish line in counterclockwise, but I may be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but at, at some point you're still going to run through the same bottlenecks and run past yeah. the same walls, true, and run true. past the same number of spaces. I mean, the number mm-hmm. of spaces doesn't change depending mm-hmm. on which direction you go. I question. I think it might give you a slightly different experience, but I don't think yeah. it necessarily makes the game any better. That much different. Or that right. much different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just my opinion. And then lastly, the components, at least in the Asmodee version, which is the one that we also have, are very nice. Both the player chariots and Caesar's corn, <laughs> corn, <laughs> Caesar's coin are a hard, high durable plastic, and I've never had any of them bend or break. The cardstock has a nice thickness to it without being overly stiff. Helps prevent the cards from bending. Yeah, I thought it looked good. Yeah, it is kind of chunky plastic bits, for sure. That's all as pros. You guys have any other thoughts about things you really liked about this game that you want to bring out as a positive? Um. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, I want to save them for counters to your negatives that are coming later. So <laughs> no. I'm going I'm to put them in my back pocket to say, but what about this? So, yeah, I'll wait. I mean, 
I will say I had, I had fun playing it. Okay. I'll at least put that out there. Okay. All right. We'll move on to cons then. He's only got a couple. First one. Like any game where card draw is the main mechanic, there's a large amount of luck involved. If you draw a handful of low movement cards, you can easily fall behind and it may be hard to catch up. You might have experienced this last game, Cameron. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were in the back the whole game, and it wasn't because you weren't trying to not be, right? right? You just had bad cards. Well, I was <laughs> I was actually stuck behind you, but then about the middle of the game getting only low cards yeah, and basically just drifted to the very, very back as everyone else got to their stack of high cards. Nothing I could do about that. Yeah. I felt like it was the luck of a shuffle. Yeah. Sort of. And and I Bill shaking his head, but I'm going to interject here. So this game threatens that you will not finish the race if you take the outer lane too many yeah. times. So I've played this game way more than we played it for this episode because right. I had this game years ago before mm-hmm. Bill was remember, even in this group and we played playing, it many, many times. I remember playing this game w- before your kids were teenagers. Yes. Yeah. I never <laughs> have ever seen anybody not make it across the line, ever. Almost everybody that does make it has a few cards left right, in their yeah. deck, right? Yeah. So it's very conceivable and quite possible that if you have a lot of high numbers towards the bottom mm. of your deck, you're just not going to win because they're not coming in your hand, right? right. You, they're at the bottom of your deck. By the time you draw them, the winners have already crossed the finish line and there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, I think that that is certainly a risk that you run in this game of random card draw. Now, that's random card draw. That really is my biggest issue with this game, but I mm-hmm. think it is something that's possible here. Yeah. All right, Bill, it, go ahead and rebuttal. Well, so yeah i I think in the times that i ended there were two cards left when i finished there may be possible that there's three oh i've definitely finished with three before have you and then what's in your hand too right i mean so that's what four four cards four or five cards you never even had to play right right and i guess if they're all sixes fives that that would certainly be valid i guess if you go with the average and say they're all threes Mm -hmm. for the most part it's kind of pretty much average out all the way across. And to me, I felt like having the low numbers when we first started our race was kind of a good thing for me. One, getting him out of the deck, but two, letting the pack get ahead of me and then picking and choosing when I made my way through. Sure, yeah, totally agree with that. So, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I I think that's where the decision-making is, right? It Maybe some of the games that we were playing, there was this temptation to say well playing optimally means always picking the highest number of steps forward that you can move no, I don't think so. every time yeah and i think that that would be misguided yeah for sure because sometimes there's a lot of value in saying well i'm just going to play this lower card in order to create some space in front of me so that i don't have to go on the outside for example mm-hmm. or jumping into a bottleneck you know right. blocking right. people that's always a no-brainer right? right right i guess that was my biggest issue with this game and i'll go ahead and just jump right to it because we need to talk about it. <laughs> Bill can Bill can argue with me about it. You're drawing three cards. Right. Okay. You have three cards in your hand. Right? Three choices. I would strongly argue that 90% of the time, you almost immediately know what you're going to play because it's either forced or it's just obvious. Mm. Like, it would be stupid not to make X move. I'm not saying that there are circumstances where you don't need to think for a moment about what card might be better to play versus the other. (laughs) But I say this as unarrogantly as I can. Okay. I just felt like 
that I didn't have to think very hard about what I thought was the most common sense play that made the most sense to me. And I was just felt like I was always playing that. Right. I never felt like in this game, I was looking at my hand and I was like, Oh, do I play this one or do I play this one? I'm like, Oh, I play this one. That's, that's just what makes sense, you know? And, and then did your decision impact your win or your loss? Well, that's what I'm saying is I think brace yourself, Bill. <laughs> I think the winner of this game is determined after everybody has shuffled their decks. Right. I think this game, if everybody's playing pretty much optimally, which after you've played it once, I don't think is that hard to do. You're playing the cards and you're just kind of seeing what happens. The shuffle mm. is determined who's going to win and you're just kind of seeing it play out. And there's some funny aha moments like, oh, I cut you off and you got blocked and you can't move. But you didn't set that up. Right. You didn't plan for that. You just jumped into that spot opportunistically because of the way the cards fell. And that's fine. And I guess it's kind of funny to see that happen, but you didn't plan to do that. Right. And so everybody's just kind of seeing this thing play out. All right, so here's my counter to that. So let's pretend I had a one and a three and a six, and you were way ahead of me, and I could choose any one of those, right? I could hope to get ahead and be the one who did the block, right? Or Mm -hmm. I could lay back, or I could decide just to be in the middle of the pack. Well, to me, choosing the one and just getting that off of my deck, letting everybody get ahead and playing all my low cards for almost the first full round all the way around – it kind of ensured for me that I'm going to play every card. Because to me, the issue with this game is every time you get blocked, that is a round that you're not playing a card and you're not moving forward and you're not actually getting rid of a low card out of your hand. And so that's, to me, the strategy in all of this. So I'm not saying there's not strategy. Yeah. Well, but I watch people not do that. You don't know what people have in their hand. I don't. I don't you, know. You, you, they may play a three because they're holding three threes. You can't say, yeah. well, that's a dumb play. You don't know what their other choices were. You can't say, <laughs> well, people weren't playing it right. You don't know what they're holding. Oh, so, no. so it sounds like it sounds like what, what we're at is not a question of is there or is there not strategy. It's that the problem is that the strategy is rather easy to come across. That's my argument. And therefore, maybe not as interesting as it could be otherwise. That, that would be my argument, and I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me. That's fine, but like I said, I feel like most of the time I knew exactly what I should do, and it is either just going to work out for me or it's not going to. Right. Based upon following principles that you're outlining, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I would play the same way, right? Mm-hmm. And it might work. It might not, you know? Right. I won one game of this when we played it most recently we review it, and I didn't feel like anything that I did was the reason that I won. I just made moves that made sense. To me, right. it didn't feel satisfying when I won, you know, I just because you like, just happened to pick up the right cards at the right time. Felt like I was just playing the things that made sense at the time. <laughs> you guys are just curmudgeons. Right? <laughs> like, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, mean, I still had fun. I, and I, sure, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't disagree with anything with what you're saying. I felt confident on everything that I got through. I felt lucky when I got a card that I wanted that allowed me to land on something sure. that blocked. The last game that I won, you were in the lead for most of, of the time. I was, yeah. But you did the Ave Caesar pit stop on the first round. Sure, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't I? It was unblocked. I could just enter there very easily. True, but you got blocked on the way out because Yeah, but you got but you gotta enter sometime. What who's what guarantees that if I go on the second lap I won't get blocked exiting on the third? I mean, how do you know? <laughs> you don't. You don't, right? That's what I mean. To me, 
it would be the best possible time to enter if you're leading after the first lap because you know you can enter. You're not going to get blocked up by somebody in front of you. Honest question. Yeah. I totally respect your opinion. I'm not being critical of you at all, but just honestly, how many times when you looked at your three cards, did you really feel like you were struggling to figure out what you were going oh, to do? Zero. Zero? Absol- really? You don't think you were, because you sound like you were like really thinking it out. Oh, but- no, no. I mean, you can tell at a glance of like, am I going to get in a cluster of people, sure. which I wanted to avoid, sure. <laughs> or right. yeah, do totally. I think I can get past them and feel like I'm safe once I get beyond them? So I could tell at a glance what I was going to do and kind of can see with the right group of people, which means don't include Chris, <laughs> you could have fun playing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But again, with the wrong group, they might not. But, but you're right. I think we talked about this. There's a group of people I go to the beach with that love sequence. And to me, I feel like sequence is one of those games where you know yeah. exactly what you're going to do when you get your card out. And it's got a certain hope level. it works out. And you end. hope it works yeah. out. And really the only wrinkle is, is do you see the obvious thing you should be doing? Right, kind right. of thing. And this one is probably even less so than sequence as far as seeing the obvious thing to do. You got to hold that triple mushroom, just keep it least. <laughs> right. <one of> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Zoom across the finish line. <laughs> Right at the throw, last minute. Throw a blue spiky shell at Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I'm Team Sean. Okay. <laughs> All right, well. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, I feel like we could go to final thoughts. I could start. Should yeah, I start? Yeah, go for I it. Start. Yeah. All right. I've probably played this one at least five times now. Between the time that we were playing with your kids years ago and the times that we played preparing for this episode. And I can't say that I found any of them to be particularly memorable. Mm. And I choose that word on purpose, memorable, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of usually what I'm looking for, right? For it to be enjoyable enough that I can think about a previous time that I played it and go, what would I do differently or whatever? So there are some games that boil down to basically just considering which is the best move for your current circumstances each turn after your adjacent opponent's turn. And do that. You can't predict or plan anything. There's only one real decision to make the whole game, which is whether to go and say Ave Caesar after the first lap or the second, whether to hang back or always play your fastest card, right? Mm -hmm. And even those are usually pretty obvious. Right. Or you don't have a choice between those two. Right. Right. Or you just can't have one card that plays and you have to play it. Or you just can't play anything. Or you get skipped, right? Yeah. Everything else kind of seems pretty faded from the beginning. So I don't feel like I can even recommend this one as like a light filler. There are just to me so many other games that kind of fit that category that I would just rather play instead. And as racing games go, I mean, in my opinion, you want to have a kind of a crazy raucous time with your game group (laughs) filled with shenanigans. (laughs) Just play Camel Up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Uh. So I got to give the guy... So I got to give this one a two. Okay. I don't just don't like it. It's not for me. I didn't feel like it was anything that special. Yeah. I don't think it's broken. Certainly. Sure. Right. But it's just not for me. Yeah. I think this would be, since I'm next, be a good time speaking for a camera to myself. Sean, we're sorry. <laughs> I, I swear we're not trying to be trollish or being snooty or whatnot. I think. Yes, they are. Oh, really not. We're <laughs> really not. I, this was so hard for me to do because we do appreciate the recommendations, but 
I think one thing Hidden Gems has to do is we have to be true to ourselves, yeah. right? We're like, always going to give our honest opinion right? about things. Yeah, I, I would feel bad if I sugarcoated a review because I didn't want to hurt Sean's feelings because he contributes to our Patreon. But I wasn't really honest with our listeners about how I felt about a game. So all that to say is, Sean, I'm sorry. We're not trying to pick on you. We appreciate you uh, very much. And really valid thoughts, honestly, and, and on the game. You have valid thoughts. And that's one point I want to make in my final thoughts is, is I can definitely see why people like this game. Right. Again, according to Bill, I'm a fun sucker, and I, I get that. Like, I just total. <laughs> and similarly, how we just talked about Scylla, right? Mm-hmm. I enjoy games where I'm struggling to find the right way forward, and I'm mad at myself when I feel like I've made mistakes. So I'm like, oh, I should have done that. I should have done that. I seek out experiences like that. I play to those me, because I have to do a podcast. Because you have to play with me, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but to me, like I said in the review, obviously Caesar is just no different than playing Solitaire or Klondike. I shuffle the cards, and then the, the fate is determined. I just play it out and see what happens. Do I win or do I not win? Now, along the way, I do think that this game allows for funny moments like, oh, I had just the right card to sneak into there and now everybody behind me can't move and you're blocked and you're stuck on the wall and now you have to skip your turn and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to jump into this next spot. Now you have to go on the outside. And those things are funny to talk about, but I didn't really plan for it. And at the end of the day, with the exception of Bill, which I value Bill's opinion, every other person I've ever played this game with ever, we always laughed during the game. And then when the game was over, we were like, do you want to play it again? And everybody was like, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Nobody ever wanted to play this game again, except for Bill. Nobody liked it. You know, and I'm with him. I'm just one of those people. So I'm sorry, Sean. Appreciate you. But I'm going to have to give this game a two as well. It just doesn't do anything for me, sadly. All right, Bill, tell us how we're all wrong. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell me any of you wrong. Yeah, do do it. It. No, no. I mean, this. So I do think not every movie is for every person, right? Yeah. I do think there's a context for this game where you can actually have fun when Chris is not in the room. <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, I, I can't not deny it's totally determined uh, by the cards, and it is a very tactical game, and there's yeah. maybe 1% strategy that you could say that, that you're bringing to it. But can you make yourself have fun with the ebb and flow of what's happening on the track? And I just feel like there are groups out there that can have fun with that ebbs and flows of what's out there. And I don't think it's necessarily decided at the very beginning because people are going to choose the middle card or the fast card and say, you know what, I'm going to try to get ahead. And I'm going to try to be the one who's all the way ahead versus I'm the one who's going to hold out and stay at the back. So anyway... I do feel like it's, you know, it feels like a cheeriest race because there's Certainly. a lot, lot of things that can happen, yeah, right? It does feel like that, for sure. But anyway. I wish there was one where you could crack a wheel or something like that. <laughs> right. Some real crazy shenanigans. <laughs> well, I, sh- I shared with something today, Chris, where there was like, there was a card that could force your opponent to like discard a card or something like that. Or you they, found some like variant rules Yeah, or some something. variant rule. Because I can imagine there should be a variant rule in here that might add some spice to this to give it a little bit more strategy. Anyway, I'm going to give it a three or really a 3.5 is what I gave it. Because oh, it's not come really. Come on, give it a four. You well, love to this game. You I did not. Well, I did, don't, I did. don't talk him into a different. You You're always being, talk Bill into I'm a different number. I'm not trying number. to, but I feel like. It, You're going to okay. force it. I, I respect your three. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I just. 
you guys were cracking on it so hard that I was like, <laughs> look, you need you need some kind of ray of sunshine in here a little bit that, it, that is better than the darkness that you're throwing onto the world. But um, You think I was being dark? If you'd had Jason in here, well, I'll tell you, Jason's uh, got strong feelings about this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think it is as bad as you guys think, and I do think there are places and groups of people that could have a blast with I this. agree with that. No, I actually appreciate that, Bill, because you have a diversity of game groups, I think, you do. more so than we do. We tend to play, you play with, with people with who are fun. kind of like this group of people <laughs> and the folks that, that come to Chris's house and whatever. And you have got a lot of family members. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of other different groups. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have a better perspective a lot of times on the other types of gamers out there and mm-hmm. what the ethos of those tables could be. Yeah. And I think that's really important to remember when we consider, For sure. especially an audience like ours, who they listen to us and we don't talk about any one specific type of game, right? And so there's all sorts of different age ranges and backgrounds and different groups of people out there that play games. And so we're actually really grateful that a lot of those people often take our thoughts with a grain of salt yeah. because, you know, who are we, Yeah, right? We're just here to tell you about games that maybe you haven't heard about before. So... In, in this room, we just like to pulverize each other in the powder. <laughs> you don't want to play with us. Uh, We're yeah. terrible humans. <laughs> Chris is sadistic and masochistic all right. at the same time. Uh, Love yeah. it. So, if indeed there are people out there that hear about Ave Caesar and they're like, well, that sounds kind of like fun to me. Forget what Chris and Cameron are saying. And you should always forget about what Chris and Cameron are Don't listen to me. So for anyone out there that's curious, where could you get Ave Caesar? All right. So you can get this game at Noble Knight. There are a few copies available on Noble Knight, but they are a little bit on the high side. Because okay. this particular edition of the game, the Asmodee edition, is kind of rare. I guess it's the a little... one with the nice components? Yeah, the one we played with. Yeah, it's a little grailish, I guess. You can get it there. It's a little high. There are 12 copies on the BGG Marketplace as well. But it is worth noting that this game did just recently get reprinted by Dice Tree, which is oh, wow. a Korean publisher. And it's supposed to be available first quarter of this year, although I have not seen it out in the wild or I didn't see it in the searches that I did, but it may be available here in the States. And if not, probably pretty soon, because from what I was reading on BGG, Dice Tree was saying that they were going to make it more available. Looks like here from Amazon US sometime in first quarter. So it should have happened by now, but okay. awesome. I'll have to say, I'm not exactly sure, but it's gotten reprinted and you should be able to find it somewhere. It's cool. a straight reprint. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I don't know what I'm getting you guys for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get on that episode. Well, dice tree, if you're listening, <laughs> maybe make some expansions with some wacky flamethrower rules or <laughs> something like that. All right. Those are our thoughts on, are you, you should close it out, Bill. You have such strong feelings about this. Oh game. my gosh, so strong! More no, just, no, just more anti-Chris feelings on this. <laughs> and those are our thoughts on Ave Caesar. Perfect. The year is six fifty-three A.D. The place is Constantinopolis, the greatest city and capital of the Byzantine Empire. You are a great merchant of the city, and this is your time. You have rivals, other merchants, who think this is their time, but they are wrong. Your canny business maneuvers will leave their ships, their cargoes, and them stuck in the shoals while you rise to vast wealth and preeminence. 
in Constantinopolis. You'll acquire goods, ship them, and sell them faster and cheaper than your competitors. And at greater profits, or heads will roll. In Constantinopolis, two to five players vie to become the most influential merchant the city of Constantinopolis. Players deliver goods and passengers overseas, sell goods at home, donate to the city, and finance public buildings to become the wealthiest and most popular merchant in Constantinopolis. <laughs> I think that was longer than the rules are going to be. <laughs> Take a trip. Stop on by. Put <laughs> uh, awesome. the carpet and fly. All right. Constantinopolis. Published in 2010 by Fantasy Flight Games and Strata Libri. At the time of this recording, it's BGG rankings 2,329. Designer of this game is Giancarlo Fioretti. This is his only design. Does Abe say it's raining higher than that? It is in the 1,000. People don't know what you're talking about. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, this is his only design. All right, brief rule summary for Constantinopolis. Here's another one that's a bit rulesy. I did cut out a lot here. Okay, I'm going to try to just stick to the high points here. I'm still going to get my pillow. So. Yeah. All right. Constantinopolis is an engine-building game where the players are attempting to generate income and points via the purchasing of special buildings, which allow the player to produce goods for shipping and for sale within the city of Constantinopolis. That's generally how you play Constant. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Cut out a lot. <laughs> that is generally the idea. Yeah. All right, here we go. The game takes place over a series of rounds, and each round consists of eight phases. All right. In phase one, the players will bid for a certain public office, which will give them a specific ability or bonus during the round, and it will also set them in the turn order. And that's all I'm going to say about it. We may mention it more in the rules, but just understand there's an auction. You get a position that gives you a certain ability, mm -hmm. and it also sets your position in the turn order. Mm -hmm. That's phase one. Phase two, players' ships that have been loaded with goods will move one step towards the harbor. Small ships will arrive in the harbor in just one round, while medium and large ships, so there's three different sizes here, usually take two rounds to land in the harbor. And then ships arriving in the harbor will award some amount of points and money. Doing good so far, right? Oh, yep. Boy, that's yep. so simple. All right. I'm leaving out a lot. In phase three, every red production building in a player's tableau will produce one or two colored good cubes, depending on what is pictured on the tile. So if you have a red building that has a blue cube and a black cube on it, it will make those cubes. You mm -hmm. put them on the tile. That's what you do in that phase. Yep. So how does one obtain these production buildings? Well, in phase four, in turn order, each player will have the chance to buy buildings and interact with the market to buy and or sell goods cubes. We should spend a moment here because this is important. It's probably the most important part of the game. There are four types of building in the game. Again, red production buildings that make good cubes. Yellow commerce buildings that let you convert goods cubes that you've just made into points and money. Green buildings, which give you some kind of in-game benefit. So, for example, there's a warehouse that will let you store more cubes so they don't spoil. And then purple buildings, which let you basically exchange money for large amounts of victory points. So a couple of quick rules about buildings. 
You can only buy one building of each color each round. So I can only buy one red in a round, one yellow. And you can't buy the same building twice. So it should be noted that the buildings are limited. So for example, in a three or four player game, there is only two of each building available on the board. So if the two red production buildings that make blue and black are taken, you can't get that building anymore. Right. It's just gone. It should be noted that there is also a fifth kind of building, which is the city walls, which also give you an in-game benefit like the green buildings, but they also give you increasing number of victory points depending on how many wall tiles you have at the end of the game. It should be noted that the player who won the Prefectus Urbi office, so remember back in phase one when you're bidding for offices, the person who won that office is the only person that can purchase a gray city wall in that particular round. In phase five, the players will draw shipping contract cards. So basically what this looks like is there are a lot of things that go into how many cards you draw, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the review, but it'll have a certain type of good or goods pictured on it. And if you make that kind of good, you can load it onto a boat. It will travel on the boat in the boat movement phase to the harbor where it will score you points and money. That's generally the idea. And that happens in phase number six. So you draw the cards in phase five, and then in phase six, you'll allocate all your goods cubes onto your boats or into your commerce buildings if you prefer to do it that way. Also during this phase, you can buy additional boats. And we should mention this, you can buy something called a trading house. A trading house, you can buy up to four of these, one per round, will let you draw additional contract card or will let you store a contract card for future turn. In phase seven, the players can donate three cubes of a matching color to the citizenry for a small number of victory points. And then in phase eight, you have a cleanup. Basically, everything on the board gets cleaned off. The game will end after nine rounds of play or once all of the purple buildings are purchased. At this point, the players will total their points and the player with the most points wins the game. That's specifically how you play. I disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I left out quite a bit there, actually. But I think that at least gives you the general idea of how the game works. And I think we'll do a good job here, hopefully, of filling in the holes. I will say it sounds intimidating to say that there's eight phases. But to be honest, a lot of them are just sort of rudimentary order of operations, configuration of things on the board. It feels a lot less phasey when you're actually playing the game and actually i can mention this right now because that just piggybacks directly off what you were just saying a lot of these phases happen simultaneously Mm -hmm. so you may be thinking oh gosh eight phases i gotta sit through eight phases of everybody waiting and taking their turns actually in only a couple of phases do you actually go in turn order correct so it doesn't feel quite so bad because you're kind of always doing something Mm -hmm. so that helps yeah yeah okay So back to theme, again, Mm -hmm. Roman theme, but this time we're not senators, we're not warriors or gladiators or anything, we're merchants. We're shyster, shifty merchants (laughs) trying to make our way in Constantinopolis, and we start out small, trying to get our feet under us and build an empire, basically, Mm -hmm. a merchant empire. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this game captured that theme? So I'm going to say that really, rather than being a specifically Roman theme, which obviously, I mean, Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire were neighbors, historically speaking, that's honestly kind of irrelevant because I think the theme of this game is merchant themed. Yes. I think that geographically and historically, this could be themed anytime and anywhere because... 
Actually, I had it's, to check to make sure Constantinopolis was Roman themed. I was like, uh, right, <laughs> right. Because so it, it is because it doesn't come across in the gameplay at all that it's Roman. It right. doesn't feel that way at all. What do you think, Bill? Uh, well, after such a good presentation from Cameron, I'll have to go along with that because yeah, <laughs> I mean that. I mean that's true. Yes, it had the Latin names on it and stuff like that. But I was really, really engaged in the let me make my stuff, get it on my ships, and get it out. Not necessarily strong Roman, but it, I didn't feel like I was a merchant. Yes, yeah, so. and that's where I agree too. Roman, no, merchant, yes, and mm-hmm. specifically merchant just starting out. Right. And trying to build something. Oh, yeah. You feel that you feel heavily. That, yeah. Because I am telling you, the first few rounds of this game, you feel like you're not making any money at all. You, you, feel, are, you feel like I do as a small business owner. <laughs> exactly. How am I going to make money? I don't know. You're, you're scraping. You yeah. start the game with like $30 and you like feel rich. I guess that's like your bank loan. And right. then after the first round, you're like, I have $3. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> And, and all then the I next got round, was this green building. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, <laughs> how am I going to make any money in this game? And you feel that way. But this game ramps really impressively mm-hmm. with the engine building, which I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. here, mm-hmm. to where towards the end of the game, you feel powerful. Yeah. You start off feeling like piddly poo market stand <laughs> loser mm-hmm. to like powerful merchant by round nine. Because yeah. your engine will just go, yeah. it is- takes off. Yeah, but what's amazing to me is that hockey stick happens like at round eight. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're running out of time. <laughs> right. So if you I mean, can like, make it happen at round seven and, and not eight, you're really doing something. Right. Yeah. So if something messes up so that you're not peaking around eight, then you're just not even in the running. So it's crazy how it works. <laughs> Which if you make some bad business decisions, mm-hmm. oh, you may not peak. Or yeah. you are just at the very end, which at that point, somebody's pulled mm-hmm. ahead of you and you're not going to catch up, right? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely things you have to balance. Mm-hmm. Speaking of balance, so at this, we should just jump right into it. So I alluded to this a little bit in the <clears> rules, but talked a lot about buildings. That's really what this game is, right? Sure. You've got a central board and it's loaded with buildings. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can see all of these different paths yeah. that you think are there, yeah, yeah. right? Did you feel like that was there? Like you had different ways you could go and different paths to pursue? And did they feel viable? Was it fulfilling? What do you think about all that? Oh, absolutely. The yellow commerce buildings that you were talking about, there were some, I'll say, great synergies, but I guess they're kind of backup synergies in that. Seemingly uh, obvious synergies. Right. Seemingly obvious synergies. Because you could are pr- they the best? Right, exactly, because right. something I actually figured out or started thinking through last night as I was reliving our games, like you could, <laughs> for instance, buy a red building that produces two blue cubes. Yes. Do they ever describe what these things are? <laughs> yeah, the they blue. stand for something. All right, but the blue cubes. And then you can buy a yellow yeah. building. If you turn in those two blue cubes, you'll get like uh, five bucks and a victory point right. kind of thing. And so that is kind of a nice guaranteed income for each turn. Because getting five bucks is huge, right? Because money, like Chris is saying at the very beginning, is super tight. However, right. that commerce building is going to give you a little less return than you'll get if you have a ship contract. And in some cases, a good bit less return, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, you yeah. could draw a ship contract card. Like, that commerce building takes two blue cubes for five coins and a victory point. But you might draw two single blue cube cards <laughs> that each give you $7 and a point. Yeah. It's right. like the difference between $14 and two points right. versus $5 and one point. And I know this is what you're getting to. I'm not trying to jump in front of you. I'm leading you here. Yeah. 
The trick is you don't know you're going to draw those cards, yeah. right? right? And so then you're trying to decide, do I play it safe with commerce or how risky do I get with the ships? Right. To your point of asking about the buildings, there's a lot of little subtle interactions yes. about how you have to think through what's going to optimize your engine. Yeah. And you that, can that's definitely just be like, if I had this one and this one and this one, then right. I could get in this kind of right. cool loop, yeah. right? And there's a competition, I think, that happens to buy those buildings at the right time. Yeah. If you miss the opportunity, you can get into a situation where you need another red building. Yeah. But you have to pay a lot for it. Right. They're limited. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's one of the areas where the tension existed in this game. Like I said, there's a lot of things you're doing at the same time in this game, but there are some things that you do in turn, and one of them is selecting your buildings, and there mm-hmm. is that tension there of, if I pass on this building this round, will it be there next round? And I kind of need it to make my plan work, but I can't really afford it right now unless I don't buy the ship this round like I'm planning on doing, but I really want the ship. Right. Maybe I'll buy the ship and maybe it'll be there and somebody then will take your bill and you're like, mm-hmm. dang it. Right. You know? And so you're yeah. kind of having to do a little bit of risk assessment and how loose and fast you're wanting to be, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to be maybe a little greedy. Yeah. See what you can get away with. That's good stuff, I think, in yeah. a game. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like that happened to me last game because you guys picked up a, a building that gives you $5 off. Oh, yeah. I love that building. And it's like, <laughs> holy crap. Because I, I, I had the other two buildings that I thought was going to work and synergize with that really well. And I looked over there and it's like gone. It's like, I'm going to rip your guy's head off. <laughs> the other thing <laughs> I'll say about the yellow commerce buildings, they do offer quite a lot of flexibility yes. in your money. So if, if it's not clear yet, money is really tight in this game, especially oh, early on in the game. And if you weren't able to ship anything in the previous round, if you don't have an income when your ships come home, having at least one of those yellow buildings to be able to get a little bit of money and maybe right. a victory point. Yeah, it can't be overstated that the yellow buildings, I remember when we first started playing it, we almost felt like they were overpowered because they're guaranteed, they're reliable. Right. You know you can count on them. You have the cubes that'll accept them. You'll get money. You'll get points. But what's so fascinating about this game is it's infinitely better to load your goods onto ships. Totally. All right. Yeah. It's just so much more valuable from a money standpoint and often from a point standpoint. But again, you're not guaranteed to draw the contract cards that will accept the cubes that you make to get those points right. or money. And so then you enter into the next phase of the game, which we need to talk about, yeah. is the card management, which was really interesting as yes. well. Is the game offers you, again, through offices and buildings and trading houses, ways to increase your card draw of increasing your options of drawing a card that will actually be able to play onto a ship. And yeah. figuring out that puzzle of how do I increase my hand size while I'm trying to accomplish all my other goals also was pretty interesting, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, there's a ramp. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's important to point out is that it takes a while to ramp up to a large quantity of card draw. Right. And maybe this gets in one of my sort of cons. I'm not sure yeah, if, if I feel that, that it's definitely a con. But one of my gripes was frequently in the first couple of rounds in this game, I would draw those cards. And if I was only drawing two or three, let's say frequently, I would get maybe one and more often than not zero that I actually could because it's round two and they required like red and black. And the only goods that I was able to produce at that point in the game are blue and green. Because like I said, there's this ramp. My point here is it's possible to draw your cards for the round. You've been building up this whole time 
And then you're like, well, I can't ship anything. Yeah. You have a ship for free at the beginning of the game. And so you're like, well, I can't ship anything. And I didn't buy a yellow building. So I guess I just can't do anything. And I don't have any money for next round. So that yeah. can happen. And my thought was, well, maybe the higher ranked goods should come out halfway through the game or something mm-hmm. like that. And the contracts. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? I'm probably being petty. No, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, think I don't have necessarily anything to add, but I think you make valid points. So this is a game that I do think in some ways is more of the multiplayer solitaire other than the fact that we're competing for buildings. Sure. Do you guys have any issues with that? Do you think it's it works? How do you guys feel about that part of it? Yeah, I, I think it works. I enjoy the engine building aspect of the game, but I do agree with you. Were it not for the fact that we were fighting a little bit over roles, but mm-hmm. even more importantly, fighting over buildings, the game would be very much lacking something. And the interaction is there, barely. I wish it was there a little bit more than it was, right. to be honest. I, I think that you, you're onto something there, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I do think that the roles at the very beginning do play really heavily in it, especially when you're getting the wall cards and stuff like that. And it was, I think, significant in the outcome. So I can't understate the fact that even though time that you spent thinking about the decision is pretty short compared to the rest of the seven phases, that that first round of what role am I going to take and how is that going to have an impact on me winning this game is huge. Yeah. But you're right. The rest of it is pretty much multiplayer solitaire other than getting the right building to build what your vision is for your engine is absolutely huge. And for me, like that red building, I maybe should have bought that first yeah. and backed into the other ones that build it that may have been lower demand right, right. or something like that. So. so here's an interesting question. Maybe this is more appropriate for a backstage, but you mentioned it this phrase a couple of times, multiplayer solitaire and the implication I feel like there is that multiplayer solitaire is a bad thing. And maybe some of our viewers are thinking the same thing, but I think my question is, is it always a bad thing? It depends. I think it depends on the person and what they like. I don't dislike multiplayer solitaire in certain situations. So for example, take it easy mm-hmm. is multiplayer solitaire. Right. And I love take it easy. Right. Sure. But or it's wait. a 10 minute game. Okay. Yeah. This is a two and a half hour game. Yeah. Right with not a whole lot of interaction, then I start to become a little less forgiving because when I play a long involved game, I want to be in more direct conflict with my opponents. Like wingspan. I mean, (laughs) wingspan. Um, I mean, is there a lot of interaction? Oh no, there isn't. I was going to say, I mean, mean, to me, that's, that's kind of the epitome of multiplayer solitaire. Yeah. yeah. You're only fighting for the food kind of thing. Right. And so you're, you're figuring things out, but yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's the epitome of the popular game. That is a multiplayer solitaire yeah. that a lot Games of people like, like. Take it easy, Karuba. What's the other game? Avenue. I don't know if y'all have played it, but they're all multiplayer solitaire and I love them, but they're mm-hmm. all like 15 minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for a long game, my tolerance for that kind of thing drops off a cliff. Okay. For sure. And by that, do you mean it's pure multiplayer solitaire? There's no. Sort of the shorter games? Conflict oh, absolutely. There's no interaction other... and take it easy. Okay. Right, but it's yeah, but it's very, very uh, abstract, I guess, yeah. in, in the in your strategy through yeah. doing something. So it's, it's fun kind to of, be like, oh, it's cool yeah. you figured out how to do that with your tiles, and I didn't. But it, yeah. in a longer game, I want to be able to mess with your tiles. Right, uh, <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean. I don't yeah. want you yeah. to be unopposed and just do whatever you want to do. So with, for two what hours. An Welcome adding, to the statistic, Chris. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no way. Would an example of adding more interaction be things like? 
there are public contracts that yes, we can that you compete for exactly. or something like that or something where like it's Bill like, and I both want that black cube contract. And <laughs> is there a way that I can navigate in front of him for it before right. he gets it so I can get it? Things right. like that. Right. Okay. You know? Get the one that you can steal the building that the other person wants. Kind exactly. Of yeah. So do we want to move into a formal negative section sure. of this game? Yeah, no, yeah, I think it's where we are right Let's now. Yeah. It. So we talked about the fact that we do have simultaneous plays on this game, which has a certain pro to it. Did you feel like there was any cons to the simultaneous play part of all this? Are you talking about worried about people's accounting? Yes, actually. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I just trust people to do right. And if they make a mistake and I don't notice it, I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, I guess I, the thought runs through my head in games like this. Should we all just do it in turn so everybody can see what everybody's doing to make sure everybody's doing their accounting correctly. But I just don't care enough. I don't I, think I didn't feel I, like there were that many things that you could, really, uh, you could screw like, up miss. You could mess things up in this game. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so, cause I mean, I, <laughs> there was a game that, J, that Jason was harassing the crap out of me about <laughs> all was. that. And I, and I, and it was, I mean, well, I how have, do you have $23 over there again, oh, Bill? That's right. Exactly, and I just I, I operate on a low hum of a guilty conscience anyway. So I mean, if you're that kind of person in this game, I will say that this could be a negative thing yeah, that, that people could look at at you and it's like, okay, where'd that come? Where'd that come from? Oh, you totally. have to like account for. There were several times people were like, "How did you score that many points?" Because we're all kind of doing our thing at the same time, and then right. everybody gets suspicious because they're like, "How in the heck oh, did you do right. that?" Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, when it's like ships comes in, and then everyone just starts chucking. I've got forty five dollars, and, and I just scored five <laughs> points. You didn't. See we do it right in round two <laughs> but it happened <laughs> yeah yeah all right are we yeah final we should thoughts? wrap it up here right sure. i've got one con that i'm going to mention in my final thoughts because i don't want it to run too long it's my start right um first yeah. sure. all right so i'll begin by saying i think we made this clear in our run through of our thoughts but this game does at least to me really capture the feel of an engine building game maybe we didn't use that term a lot but this is yeah. this is an engine builder mm-hmm you start off small and piddly and pathetic. You find a pathway through the purchasing of buildings and acquisition of contracts to slowly become more and more efficient until by the end of the game, you're just pumping it out. And that feels pretty good. I enjoyed solving that puzzle and finding different ways to do it in the buildings that were available to me. One concern that I do have about this game, however, is that there is no variable set up to this game whatsoever. Mm. Every game, the board will basically look exactly the same, with the only difference being that the markets will be slightly different, but honestly, that has little to no effect on gameplay at all. Mm-hmm. There's no cards you start with that are different mm-hmm. from other people. There's no differences. So. I always get very worried and leery in games like that, that I will begin to fall into a pattern of play right? Mm. that I see as being probably better. And Mm. then if it doesn't fall that way, figuring out how to pivot here and there and just kind of finding like a path that works. Right. And then it begins to become stale. Mm -hmm. I worry about that immensely in this game. Mm. And I do think that probably might happen. However, for now I'm enjoying the ride. (laughs) So, all that to say, I can't give this game any more than a four because of that, because I do have a suspicion after like four or five plays, will I get kind of tired of it? Maybe. Probably even. But let's be honest. <laughs> How many games do people have in their collection they play more than five times? Right. Not many. Yeah. So Probably I would, not if you have a thousand games. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, people just don't, right? Right. So I would say if you like engine builders, 
This game is worth picking up just to experience it and be like, oh, this is cool. And then once you kind of figure it out, just move on to something else. But I've enjoyed playing around with it so far. So I'm going to give it a four. Awesome. It's funny. I'm thinking about the number, the games in here that you've rated at level six that you've only played like how many times? Well, that's or- because I can see the endless possibilities <laughs> in them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right. Now you're next, Bill. I'm, okay. Oh, okay. You know, I'll say I like this game. Every time I've played it, I felt like I was learning something new. I did feel the angst in the story of the beginning game, middle, and end game in this. I liked how tight it was in the hockey stick style end game where if you were able to get your engine working right, right at that turn seven and turn yep, eight. That you're zenith just, moment. Exactly. Everything just came together and you could buy like, you know, seven ships and <laughs> fill them all up. And you're just like making all kinds of money. Uh, there, there, there was a little sadness part about that because that's like when the game ends, it's like, dang, I'm just now getting right. <laughs> I mean, it's like whole catch 22 to all that, but I'm totally with Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm going to give it a four. I hadn't really thought about the fact that it may not have legs because it's yeah. not that variable. And I, I totally agree with you. That, that's a thing with this game. Game. But uh, otherwise, I think it's 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 a very tight design, and yeah. I uh, I think it, it's pretty amazing. And yeah. really, you should absolutely try it if you can find it cheap. It's a fun sandbox to play in, right? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, yeah. So very similarly, I had a lot of fun playing this game. It's been a while. I feel like since I played an engine builder, and I was telling Chris before we were recording, I find myself really attracted toward games that kind of start out with this nothing experience Mm -hmm. and then you are responsible to figure out how to sort of spin things up and then to feel this buildup of finally you can push forth and really start making your plan happen. I get the same feeling when I play games like uh, real-time strategy games where you start out with like, you know, one little peasant guy and one soldier. And then eventually you've got like this giant army. You know, I was playing Starcraft recently and really enjoying that same exact feeling. I got that when I played Constantinopolis. I don't personally have any issues with the whole like potential multiplayer solitaire thing. I really enjoyed the tightness of the economy and the con- the competition over what buildings to buy and this prioritization questions that that poses for you. And then just the tension of like, there are, there are these other outlets throughout the game that cause you to leak money, yeah, (laughs) which is so precious, even right on through the sixth and seventh rounds. Right. And that just worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's been a while since I've thrown out one of these, but I'm actually going to go five on this. Nice. I I had a lot of fun playing it. I did win. I could tell you looked like you were, but even on the games where I didn't perform as well, I found myself really enjoying the ride. And to me, that's the special sauce that I'm looking for, right? I don't like the grueling, like, I'm just going to get my (laughs) booty kicked the entire game. Like when Chris is over here having having a great time, (laughs) agonizing over decisions and crushing all of us. To me, if it gives me that fun ride and it makes me think like, man, oh, what would I try? What would I try next time? Like, oh, I could try doing that. I could try doing that move later or maybe do this thing earlier and whatever. I just thought it was cool and really had a good time with it. So I'm giving it a five. Yeah, I agree with you. Brace yourself here, Bill. So I know that Cameron and I, we both really enjoyed Terraforming Mars. Yeah. I know our listener base doesn't necessarily love that game either, but Terraforming Mars is very similar in that even when you don't win Terraforming Mars, you can look down at your tableau and be like, 
But look what I did. Yeah, I did a bunch you of know, stuff. Like, look at all this cool crap that I did. You know what I mean? So yeah. you like feel like you did something, yeah. even if it doesn't work out for a win. And I, I do like games like that. I agree. And, and I want to mention, because you pointed this out in your thoughts, uh, the worries over replayability. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I agree with that a little bit and really feel like it could have been mitigated by doing things like some games, like when you do the setup, the, the roles are sort of randomized or... Yeah. Something like that, where like or have I'm, more buildings, or have yeah, like more, some that come buildings, into the play and some that don't, or so. even some where the buildings, the prices are fixed, but the buildings shift around, right? So that the resources have different values or right. something like that. Something from one that play would to the next, something that would cause you to play differently from game to game, right? That's the the biggest thing is every time you look at this board when you sit down to play it, it's going to look the same, yeah. And so that always worries me a little bit. Yeah. The one game that came to mind or those types of mechanisms for replayability, um, which, by the way, shameless plug for Patreon. We've talked about our thoughts on what makes for good replayability on Mm -hmm. a previous backstage episode. And I think it's a fascinating topic because it speaks into a lot of the depths of game design. Right. Right. Did they think about that when they built the game? And the game that I was thinking about is actually Kingdom Builder. Yes. So King, that, that is the, yeah. Kingdom absolutely. Builder has this awesome thing. And it's in the core of the game. Like at the very beginning of the game, you just randomly pick what it's like four cards three out of this objective deck. cards and then right. four different boards that That's have right. different buildings on them that have different abilities. That game is so replayable. It's, I mean, it's in my top it's different, three games. It's different every single time. Yeah. And it plays super. I mean, that, well, now we're reviewing. Kingdom Builder, but yeah, but I mean, but the point great. is that it created that <laughs> core mechanism that shakes every game up. Well, if it's you play a game of time. Kingdom Builder and then you play the next one the same way, you'll lose. Right. If you play a game of Constantinopolis and then you play the next one the same way, you could very likely win both times. Oh, okay. Right, because you see what I'm saying. Potentially, yeah. The way that Kingdom Builder is designed, it forces you to play differently. Differently, right? The, the way that Constantinopolis is designed, if you find a winning strategy, it doesn't necessarily force you to deviate from that. Yeah. Because there's no variability in setup. Right. Right. So this is one of those games that we talk about how much we fear games getting reprinted and the new publisher tinkering around with it. I think this is one that if they were to reprint it, I yeah. wouldn't be so worried if that's what they were going to do with the tinkering around with it, right? For sure. Because I, I do think that that would be a dramatic improvement. And that's a game that I think is a five. Yeah. Like it. Cool. All right. Well, good news. This is kind of crazy. If we piqued your interest, and I hope we did, because like I said, there's some good things going on here. There are actually several copies available on Noble Knight for as low as $9. Can yeah. you believe that? Wow. Nine that, that, bucks. That's what I ordered today. So there's Constantinopolis? Nine. You bought it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For nine dollars. Yeah. <laughs> with tax, it takes over ten. You can use your discount. Right. Code. Exactly. Well, I got a dollar a dollar twenty off with your code. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you want to do that, again, our discount code is gems ten off. That's gems one zero off on Noble Knight. And then also there are forty six copies on BGG. So you're not gonna have any trouble okay. getting this one if you want to try it. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, those are our thoughts on Constantinopolis. I'm so excited because now we're going to get to talk about yeah. movies. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. <laughs> if you're a Patreon back. backer, and we hope you are, and if you're not, we hope you consider becoming one. We get to talk about really cool, obscure movies. Well, go somewhere. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up. All right. 
Well, thanks for joining us, of course, on this episode of Hidden Gems. If you like what we're doing here, please remember it's a huge help to us if you would leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on our various social media platforms. We got some some ratings and reviews recently. We, have, which yes. we really appreciate those simple things can make a difference for the show's exposure so more folks can enjoy exploring games with us. Check out the BGG Guild if you want to interact with us or share a game that you think is a hidden gem. We recommend those folks all the time. We point out that folks who have recommended games and appreciate you guys contributing over there on the guild. Mm-hmm. And if you're so inclined, please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash hidden gems podcast. Or we do have t-shirts and merch. Yeah. And t-shirts and hats over cool. at hidden gems. <laughs> Boardgamepodcast.com slash store. Until next time, I'm your host, Cameron. This is Chris. This is Bill. Thanks for listening. This episode of Hidden Gems, number 52, was recorded in Raleigh, North Carolina on July 17, 2023. Be sure to join us next time as we pay homage to one of the greatest, if not the greatest, board game designer of all time, the late Klaus Teuber. Be sure to tune in as we talk about his incredible life in board game design and then review three of his lesser talks about games. Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yonchalef. Our Board Game Geek Guild is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member, Ghidorah. Our Discord channel is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member, Snoozefest. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist, Caitlin Nieto. Check out her work on Instagram at It's Caitlin Nieto. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at Hidden Gems Board Game Podcast, Instagram at hiddengems.podcast, and Twitter at Hidden Gems Board. Disagree with one of our reviews? Have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today? You can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at boardgamegeek.com, guild number 3874. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search. 